so maybe we can let go of those practicalities and kind of sink back. into the, the inner experience. And so we've been mentioning um, through the retreat um, and really framing it a lot with this uh, teaching of dependent origination. And I'd like to begin the talk with um, a quote from the Buddha about this where he says, deep indeed is this dependent origination. It is through not understanding and penetrating it that people become entangled like a tangled ball of threads. Yeah, so through not understanding that we become entangled like a tangled ball of threads. And I love this image of the tangled ball of threads. It's like... You know, it just means that we need to start untangling one thread and the whole thing can loosen up. And so, when this is said, that when the Buddha um, awakened, he awakened to something. So his deepest realization was this realization of... Um, understanding this dependent origination and that this is the insight that kind of underlies everything that he taught um, which is um, you know to a great degree why we we felt moved to kind of frame this retreat with this teaching which is sometimes considered a little bit complicated (laughs) yeah and if we kind of really um, try and kind of get to the essence of it, yeah, the essence of this teaching is really this principle that um, when anything arises, it arises dependent on conditions and causes. And when those particular causes or particular conditions are um, released or diminished or dissolved, that affects that which has arisen. Yeah. So everything is reliant on other things. And when it is, what is relied on is removed, then things change. So we can see this um, in very kind of everyday simple examples. Yeah. You know, commonly we use the weather. <laughs> So in order for there to be rain, there needs to be clouds. If there are no clouds, there will be no rain most of the time. Right. Yeah. So kind of very, very simple example of that principle. And similarly, as we've been, um, similarly and and more subtle, as we've been exploring here, um, suffering, dukkha, relies on causes. Yeah. You can probably all recite it by now, contraction, tanha, craving. Yeah. And when the contraction is relaxed, when the craving is relaxed, then the dukkha also relaxes. So this dependent nature, 
yeah, this codependency or dependent arising is true of everything. Yeah, it's true of everything in our experience. And the invitation in the teachings is to really check this out. If you can find something that is not dependent on something else. And as Nathan was um, was speaking of last night, you know, even our perception of the world, yeah, that thing that we take as kind of such a basic um, building block of our experience, yeah, our perception of the world, that too is fabricated, that too is dependent. That too is not real in the way we take it to be. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's an illusion. It's really important to make those distinctions. Not real in the way we take it to be. It's dependent on things. And if we change the conditions that the perception is dependent on or reliant on, then the perception itself will change. Or even, in kind of deeper states of meditation, the perception itself may fade. You know, the object of perception will fade. So, you may have noticed, you may have perceived this um, thing that's appeared in the hall, (laughs) manifested, and um, this is one of, um, I think, our favorite ways of, of kind of really illustrating this dependent nature of things. So you might be wondering, what do some sticks have to do with the depth of the teaching? <laughs> um, and, and you might not be able to see in great detail, there's three sticks here. And they're standing uh, because they're leaning on each other. Yeah, They're standing because they're leaning on each other. They're not glued together and they're not stuck in the floor. <laughs> They're simply standing up because they're leaning on each other. So, when we speak about the causality, the conditionality of things, it's not just one cause, one effect. Yeah? Things lean on each other yeah? on many conditions. And also... I'll probably be repeating this. They're mutually leaning on each other. Yeah? Mutually supporting each other. So it's not just one cause and one effect, but a complex and mutual leaning. And each of the sticks in themselves. Yeah. So we have three sticks leaning on each other in order to stand. And then each of the sticks in themselves is a dependent arising as well. Right? So I can tell you they're all dependent on me to have brought them in here. <laughs> yeah. For example. Yeah. Dependent on, um, you know, the nature elements. Yeah. To have come together. To grow dependent mainly on on wind um, and other conditions that kind of made things dry enough so that they 
fell off, broke off the tree they were on. Yeah, so that dependent arising, which is made up of dependent arisings, yeah, that kind of constant flow of conditions coming together, coming together. So the the teacher um, who kind of got this from, it's not an original. Her name is Elizabeth Matisse Namgyal. She's a teacher in the Tibetan tradition. And she says, um, you know, when we look at the sticks, we can see how um, the whole world leans. Yeah? The sticks are leaning on each other. The whole world is leaning on something. Everything in the world is leaning on something. Yeah? Everything leans. Nothing is um, kind of self-standing. <laughs> yeah? Couldn't take one of these sticks and just... It, it couldn't just stand independently. Yeah? Not possible. Everything leans. So just to kind of, again, just to kind of pull out some of the important threads in this. So not one cause, one effect, yeah, but multiple causes, yeah, creating something, yeah, and creating multiple somethings also. And every cause is also an effect. <laughs> yeah? So it's all part of this flow of conditioned nature. Yeah? Everything is dependent and is a cause for other things to be. Does this make sense to people? Yeah, this is this is really, you know, it really it makes sense to us and yet it is such a deep understanding. Yeah. Such a deep understanding. You know, when we look at this, it's like it's often as Nathan was saying yesterday, it's beyond what we would normally see. Yeah. So we can say um that the sticks Maybe I'm kind of being a bit um, presumptuous here. <laughs> You'd say the, the sticks are a cause of your understanding right now. Yeah? They're helping us to understand. They certainly were for me when I first came across this. Yeah? So we don't really, you know, we wouldn't necessarily think that a stick would be a cause for a deep understanding. But you know, so the, the, you know, the sticks are also a cause for the understanding. You know, so is the fact that you know you all chose to come here on this retreat. Yeah. You know, so just so many things, so many things that are affecting that moment, every moment, every kind of unfolding whether it's, you know, in our own inner process or whether it's in the kind of what we call in English nuts and bolts of life, <laughs> the practicalities of life, both, you know, 
everything. So, if we look at some of what Nathan spoke of yesterday, through this, you know, understanding or through this way of looking, yeah, the fading of objects from perception, which is difficult for us to perceive, (laughs) but that fading of objects from perception is a result of causes and conditions, yeah, it's a result of certain causes and conditions in the meditation practice, usually, yeah? And that insight itself is not the end, <laughs> yeah? It's not that that's what we're aiming for, you know? Once we see the fading of perception, that's it. We go home, put our feet up, we're done, <laughs> you know? No, that insight is itself fuel for further understanding, yeah? It's a cause for further understanding, further development, yeah? So that, that continuation of the flow, of the deepening. And so that, that insight, even when we hear it and kind of just begin, it kind of begins to resonate. And I think what I love about the teachings and, and some of you um, hopefully have been having this experience over the days here is sometimes even if I don't understand intellectually or experientially, there's something in the being that resonates with that. You know, there's something in the being that resonates with, with that depth and beauty. And so that resonance and that understanding on all its levels, you know, from just that resonance, and I'm not creating a hierarchy here, from the residence to the experiential, seeing it in our own experience, that whole spectrum, that... Um, that leads to more understanding of the process of fabrication. And we then can see how that understanding of the process, the deeper understanding of fabrication, how that um, eases our attachment yeah, and increases freedom. Does that make sense to people? little bit (laughs) yeah so it kind of continues the circles continue the cycles continue yeah the more we understand the more it opens up we see how that frees us to a degree yeah and then we can also see how that understanding and how that release affects the ways we relate to the world inner life and external experience. Yeah, so we can see. It's like um, one of our teachers used to love using this image of, um, used to call it whittling. (laughs) It's like when you have a, a piece of wood and you kind of just take something sharp and you just kind of, you know, keep kind of shaving off pieces of the wood. That's called whittling. 
and that it gets smoother and smoother, yeah, and you discover shapes, yeah, through it. So it's that process, yeah, it's that process of, you know, or the way water and wind shape the earth, yeah. It's a lot slow process of just continuation. And so insight leads to more understanding of fabrication and dependent origination. And that leads to um, less attachment. And that leads us to relate differently. Yeah? Even a little bit, yeah? Some of the time to relate differently to our experience. And when we relate differently to our experience, then that again leads to more ease in our being, to more understanding of fabrication. Yeah. So we kind of that kind of continues and continues. So in the texts, in the tradition. Um, dependent origination is often, um, and some of you may know this teaching, um, often kind of described or referred to as um, these series of links that start with ignorance and lead to suffering. And I'm not going to go through that <laughs> right now. I think it's on the notice board. Yeah, they start from ignorance and they lead to suffering. And it's really important to say ignorance of what, yeah? Ignorance of what, yeah? So ignorance of um, the changeability of life, yeah? Ignorance of the dissatisfactory nature of things. And ignorance of the interconnected and mutually dependent nature of things. Yeah. Do those sound familiar? <laughs> Been using them as ways of looking. And um, it's helpful, the Vietnamese teacher, Thich Nhat Hanh, he, he, instead of using ignorance, he uses blindness. So the ignorance isn't only, you know, something that we've never heard of or we don't know, but we, we might know it and then we forget. Yeah. We forget and we're kind of blind to that aspect of reality. So as we practice and as we deepen in understanding, ignorance or blindness transforms more and more into wisdom. Yeah, transforms more and more into wisdom. And this is um, both a gradual process yeah, of like a gathering momentum of wisdom. And it's also um, a kind of in-the-moment process. You know, every moment of wisdom brings freedom. Yeah. If there's wisdom in the moment, there is no suffering or less suffering. Yeah. That's the kind of root. So if ignorance or blindness... Um, is the root of suffering. Wisdom is the root of freedom from suffering. So the Buddha said, when ignorance is ended, 
wisdom arises. Like I said, in the moment and then as an accumulation. As an accumulation. So sometimes if this is helpful, we can have that imagination, you know, of like every time there's a moment of wisdom, we're kind of putting it in the wisdom bank. <laughs> yeah. We're using it. It's not something to store. We're using it, but we're kind of nourishing that momentum of wisdom, of the transformation of ignorance. So what is wisdom? Yeah, we've said wisdom is the opposite of ignorance or blindness. So wisdom is seeing that dependently arising and empty nature of all things. Yeah. Empty as in empty of a separate inherent essence or self. Or empty of standing independently. <laughs> yeah. It's that wisdom that sees that everything leans. Yeah. Everything is interconnected, interdependent. Mutually arising. And so within this wisdom, this wisdom includes and is kind of imbued with metta and compassion. Yeah. So sometimes, um, you know, when we hear these teachings, they might sound quite, you know, dry. But this is this wisdom that sees the mutuality, that sees the interconnection is full of metta and full of compassion. And this wisdom that sees how we and other beings are caught up in this process, yeah, of ignorance bringing suffering. The compassion is just naturally there. And through that metta, through that compassion, there's a natural movement, yeah, a natural w- movement of that wish to attend to the, su- to the suffering, to our own suffering, to the suffering of others, and to the suffering in the world. And this is a essential part <laughs> yeah, of the teachings and of freedom. And it's not just something that we kind of get to at the end. You know, when I'm a Buddha, I'll be filled with compassion. Yeah. It's actually something that we can look for, just as we've been doing here. Yeah. Open to bring in as a way of looking, as a way of relating, and as a way of practice. You know, and we've been doing this here from day zero. Practice as an act of kindness, remember? Yeah, opening talk. So it's the wisdom and the compassion. And sometimes in the tradition, um, they're, they're described as um, the two wings of a bird. Yeah, like one wing is the wisdom and one wing, wing is the compassion. And the bird needs both to fly. And... The image that always comes to me is that the relationship is much closer than that. 
so they're like the individual um, hairs on the feathers, yeah, that each feather is made up of both. So wisdom and the seeing of the emptiness, the seeing of the dependent arising nature of things. Wisdom brings compassion. And compassion brings wisdom. Yeah. Compassion brings wisdom. They're mutually dependent on each other. They arise together. Yeah, when we open to what needs attention in ourselves and in the world. Then we're opening to wisdom. So I'd like to give um, an example of this from life. I don't think we've mentioned this much on this retreat, um, but one of the things that um, we're very passionate about is, is bringing meditation into the world and into engagement. And so we, um, we organize and facilitate retreats that combine what we've been doing here with some form of positive action in the world. And one of the retreats that we organize is called Being Peace. And it takes place in, uh, mostly in Palestine, also in Israel, and engages with the conflict, with the occupation, um, through supporting uh, Palestinian farmers in the olive harvest and using... Let me know if you can't hear me. <laughs> and using... Um, that opening to that complex, very painful, unjust situation um, as a way of exploring our practice and our relationship to the world. And so one of the things that we do on the retreat, you know, amongst, between the working with the Palestinian farmers and meeting with um, activists, Palestinian and Israeli activists and all kinds of and meditating and silence and all kinds of things, is that every retreat we also take time to meet with um, a Jewish settler. Yeah? And um, the last few years we've been meeting with Jewish settlers who live in the settlement, which is right next to the village where we've been working since 2009. <laughs> so, you know, we know a lot of the information and the story and the facts on the ground. And these meetings, as you can imagine, are not easy. <laughs> yeah, they're not easy. And typically there'll be, you know, our group, which will be about 15 people. And there will be one or two settlers yeah, who are talking to us. So I'd like to, to kind of take a, a particular example 
so we were meeting with um, someone from the settlement for the first time. We'd never met him before. I'd only spoken to him on the phone to arrange this meeting. And um, kind of met in a, in a little park in a settlement where he lives. And there we were, you know, all sitting together. And he was speaking to the group and sharing his views on the reality of the situation, about the facts and about the causes and about the consequences, all of that. And so this was, as I said, very very difficult for all of us to hear. Very difficult to hear. And yet, what was arising for me and afterwards speaking to to the others, what was arising was um, a lot of compassion. A lot of compassion for this for this man. Yeah. And as he was speaking, he was getting um, more and more excited and you know kind of the voice was getting louder and he was getting more agitated in the body and kind of red and he was he was probably I think about seven no over 70 years old yeah so and I could feel the compassion <laughs> going up and up and up um, and at some point uh, and he was speaking in a way that kind of was very difficult to interrupt um, and at some point, I kind of just said to him, can you just stop a moment? And he kind of was very, a little bit affronted by that, you know, hurt by that. And I said, no, can you please just stop a moment because I'm really concerned for you. Can you just stop a moment and take a breath? Please. And he did. And his wife was sitting there also. She looked at me um, and she had a lot of gratitude. Yeah. She was also concerned in the same way. So how does this story relate to what we're talking about here? As Nath said yesterday, yeah, perception is conditioned. So we can be in a situation where we're listening to somebody who is saying things that are really difficult for us to hear. What happens if we bring the intention to the perception? And we not only focus on the content of what the person is saying, but we also look at their body language. We also listen to the tone of their voice. We also look at what is happening in their body. We also include our understanding of dependent arising and see a human being who probably did not consciously choose their views. (laughs) Yeah. 
we also take into account that there's many things we don't know about this person, including their history. Yeah. So then what does that allow? What does that allow? So the more we practice in the way we've been doing here, and then the more we apply that to our lives, yeah, the more possibilities open. Yeah. And the more compassion arises naturally. Yeah. And that compassion that arises naturally allows us to act wisely in the world. So in the moment, if we're using the language that we've been using here, resting into a meta way of looking or a compassion way of looking as we're listening to somebody who's saying things that are difficult, yeah, allows some easing of the contraction. Not complete, there's still a lot of dukkha there. Yeah. It allows some easing of the contraction in the individual. And as it eases in the individual, it, it eases in the world because we are also a cause. Yeah? So what we do matters. How we look at life matters. What we prioritize matters because we are also a cause. And as we do that, it also allows a deepening of wisdom and compassion within ourselves and in the world. Yeah. Can you see that? Does that make sense to people? Yeah. And just to say that when, um, after this conversation, a few people in our group spoke to, um, to this man, his name was Moshe, to, to Moshe's wife. And he, in the conversation, he, at that point, that that time, he wasn't willing to share any personal things about his life. Yeah, nothing. Not where he was born, not what his history was, nothing personal. But in the conversation with his wife, she, afterwards, which was informal, she was, she, she was, you know, kind of having a more natural conversation. And she told us that um, he had been born in 1946 in Germany in a camp for um, displaced Jewish people. So we can kind of imagine what the family history was. And this does not justify anybody's views or actions. Yeah. But it gives us a bigger picture. Yeah. It gives us a bigger picture. And if we can stay open to that, we don't know what is behind somebody's actions or views or ways of being if we can stay open to that possibility. So it doesn't mean, this is where it gets tricky, and please listen to this, (laughs) this next bit. It doesn't mean that we ignore, or we condone, or we accept acts or views that lead to violence, to injustice, and to oppression in the world. Yeah. It doesn't mean this at all. It means that we keep leaning back into a big view of life. Yeah. 
into this understanding both of the conditions that lead to violence and harm. Yeah? Blindness and ignorance, which we all know in ourselves. And we let that understanding both support compassion for others and for ourselves and also support us to stand up and act. Yeah. Support us to stand up and act. So it fuels our commitment to working towards the end of suffering and its causes in ourselves and in the world. We do this internally and we do this externally. Remembering that we're part of this net of interdependence. You know, everything leans. Everything leans. And the image that's traditionally used is not three sticks, but like a really enormous, infinite net. Yeah. And every place that a few threads in that net meet, there's a jewel. Yeah. And every jewel is mirrored in the other jewels in the net. So they're all reflecting each other. That's a bit more of a sparkly image. I still like the sticks. But just remembering that we are part of that net and everything is part of that net. So everything we do, yeah? And this is a great support for us to act in the world. And we need that support. I teach a retreat for activists in Israel every year. And we need that support of these understandings, yeah? and of this nourishment of compassion and wisdom. So back to the retreat. So we've all had insights on this retreat. Yeah, we've all had insights. If you think you haven't, Trust me, you have. <laughs> yeah. Whatever it is, you know, seeing how frustration can just disappear of itself. Yeah. Seeing how our moods change through the day. Yeah. We've all had insights that matter. And as we move tomorrow from the conditions yeah, that we've had here, that have created and maintained the retreat, the simplicity. And we're going to move to conditions that are more complex, yeah, less simple. What we can take with us is the application of those insights. Yeah? So insights are asking to be lived, to be applied as part of this ongoing journey. of deepening understanding, letting our understanding affect how we are in the world. 
and then learning from that, yeah, learning from that. So how do we do that? Yeah. How do we apply insight in the world, in our lives? So I just want to give a couple of examples of that. So one example might be that you know something is about to happen in our lives and we might be feeling very excited about it in a positive way might be that we're feeling nervous about it, yeah, with some kind of edge of, ne- of negativity. Can we take a moment to feel that? Yeah. And as we feel that, can we remember that experience is fabricated? <laughs> yeah. Or can we remember that things are not permanent, that they're changeable? Yeah. If that was an insight that we, we had here. Yeah. Or can we remember that there's contraction somewhere in the body (laughs) and the being and try and find it? Yeah. These are all things that we can do. Can we look for the Vedana? Can we check if we can breathe in a way that makes more space for the experience or changes it? These are all things that we've been doing and that we can apply into our life situations. Can we see what happens if we look at that experience with compassion or metta? Yeah, just playing with that. And you don't need to do all of them. (laughs) Yeah, just kind of choose one or two, depending on how much time you have. And then see what happens. Yeah, see what happens. And if there's any degree of release or relief, then take time to enjoy it. Remember Rick Hansen? I think it was yesterday Nathan mentioned him. At least seven seconds. (laughs) So that is kind of absorbed into the mind and reprograms the mind. Yeah. So those are things we can do. Yeah, if you like that Nick Hansen, Rick Hansen thing, that's something you can apply. You know, you can take time every day and just think what went well and remember that for seven seconds or longer. Yeah, so that's things that we can apply into our lives. Someone, I want to give another example. Someone left us this really wonderful question. There's been so many wonderful questions on this retreat. You know, how can we have a positive relationship with the forces in society which are actually kind of constantly causing more craving, more contraction, (laughs) and more sense of self, you know, that are giving us the message, yeah, that you need to have more, that what you have is not enough, or that you are not enough. I mean, let's be honest. That's the messages. You know, we're not enough. So how do we, um, how do we kind of make peace with that? So very, very similar. Yeah, we can see the ignorance and the blindness that this is rooted in. 
Yeah, we've had that insight here, you know. We've had at least a few moments of happiness <laughs> that were not, not reliant on getting things. Right? Hopefully. <laughs> I think you wouldn't be here if you hadn't had at least a few of those. So we can refer back to that. Yeah. And we can feel compassion for that movement in the human psyche that our whole economy is actually based on in our modern world. Yeah. That we keep needing more. There's a beautiful... Um, we might have time for this tomorrow, but there's a, this wonderful Zen monk, um, Latin American Zen monk, and he gives all these tips for daily life. But one of them is exactly about this. It's about um, consuming mindfully. And he says, stop before you buy anything <laughs> and see if breathing is enough. <laughs> And that's so wonderful, you know, it doesn't matter if we're in the, um, you know, if we're in the supermarket or we're at the travel agents about to book a holiday or we're on the internet doing some online shopping, just before we buy anything, just stop. We're not saying don't buy, just stop and see if breathing is enough or if breathing changes your experience and your choices. So all of these ways that we can apply our insight into life. So on retreat, we've had these really specific conditions yeah, that supported us to have insight, to have more quietness. And as these conditions will change, and we'll speak about this more tomorrow, don't worry, <laughs> But as these conditions will change, experience will change. And that's natural. But the process, <coughs> the practice, the interest, that doesn't stop. Yeah? So there's a closing time for the retreat, but that's just a closing time for these specific conditions. Yeah? The path doesn't end. So the Buddha's path, yeah, the path to freedom from suffering, yeah, the, the f fourth noble truth, yeah, it includes all aspects of our lives. It's not just about the times when we're sitting on the cushion or walking slowly and looking strange <laughs> on the lawn, <laughs> yeah. So it's not just about those times, yeah. It's, it includes all aspects of our lives. And the amazing thing is that he taught this 2,600 years ago. And human beings, our external conditions of our lives have changed so much in that time. Yeah, That was even before people were commonly writing things down. Apparently they only used to kind of do tax calculations in, by, in writing <laughs> in the Buddha's time, but not anything else. Yeah. So the external conditions have changed so much, but the inner world hasn't. Yeah? That's why this is still applicable to us. So the practice, the interest, the kindness, the compassion, 
cultivation of wisdom applies to all areas of our lives, yeah? to how we speak, to what we do, to how we live in the world. Yeah? It applies to everything we do. Everything we do. No escape. <laughs> no escape. And this really opens up the possibility. Yeah. Opens up the possibility for us. We don't have to, you know, just be on retreat for the rest of our lives. Yeah. Actually, that integration of the insight, the application of insight into daily life conditions is equally valuable and powerful. So just a few last words about what helps and supports us in this. And I want to just mention just one factor on the path that the Buddha described that has eight factors, the path to um, freedom. And that factor is wise intention. And it's one of my favorites, and it's so simple, and yet it includes the whole path in it. So wise intention is the intention to let go of the causes of suffering. Yeah, we've been practicing that a lot over the days here. It's the intention to let go of ill will, which we can also say is the intention to bring metta to all experience, because metta is the opposite of ill will. And it's the intention to cultivate harmlessness, yeah, non-harming. So the whole path, all that we need is in that. Yeah. So we can keep bringing it to our lives. So this is our path. And wisdom and compassion are like the two feet that are walking us on it. Wisdom and compassion. Wisdom and compassion. Remembering that every moment is an opportunity to grow and to learn and to deepen. So let's close here with a moment of silence together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.